Listener Production. Fossils buried in your backyard. Why it's more likely than you think. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. Every living thing that's ever existed on the planet can leave a fossil. And we've barely scratched the surface of uncovering what species are buried beneath. Today, I talk to Cosmos Magazine journalist Evram Yazgan about everything fossils and the farmers stumbling over dinosaur bones in outback Australia. So, Evram, the mental picture I have of how we discover fossils, I'm not going to lie, it's that first scene in Jurassic Park. You've got Sam Neill, you've got some velociraptors there on the ground. There's a bunch of people, tiny little brushes, sort of delicately brushing a top layer of dirt off a beautifully preserved velociraptor fossil. I want to believe it's true, but is this accurate? I mean, is this how we're still discovering fossils? Totally. I, I mean, excavating and prospecting, so like digging in the dirt to find fossils, all of this still happens. Mm-hmm. And we keep discovering new fossils this way. But the interesting thing is sometimes you need to know where to dig. And part of this involves people discovering fossils, not by digging and not even as paleontologists, but sometimes it's just literal randoms who are finding them on the ground. I wish that was me. (laughs) Maybe it will be one day. I mean, one example of one of these wild discoveries was back in 1999. There was a sheep farmer called David Elliott who lived in Belmont, which is a town in outback Queensland. And David literally stumbled over dinosaur bones on his property. The dream. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And over the years, they then conducted a series of digs and continued to uncover more and more of those fossils in the area. In total, 17 forklift pallets of fossil bones were recovered. That is huge. Yeah, it's incredible, right? But what we're seeing more of now when it comes to new fossil discoveries isn't necessarily things being discovered on dig sites. Instead, we're bringing old fossils out of the archives and taking a closer look at them to figure out exactly what they are and finding new things from there. Wow, right. So we're bringing fossils out to re-examine them. Typically, where are they stored? And also, I presume that fossils have to be preserved too. Yeah, so most often they're stored in places like museums, in like the dark back rooms hidden (laughs) away from the museum visitors. They can also be sometimes part of private collections. For instance, a company or collector buys a bunch of fossils or even just rocks which they don't realise are fossils. Oh, wow. For whatever reason and has them stowed away somewhere to be looked at later. But yeah, typically they have to be preserved so they don't degrade. Fossils are incredibly sensitive to things like light, atmospheric conditions, uh, moisture, things like this. So they have to be looked after quite extensively. And they're often like covered in foam and encased and stored away in dark like drawers. But interestingly, one issue in keeping them away for so long is that sometimes we miscategorize fossils when they're initially discovered. We look at them quite superficially and quickly and then store them away and think we've discovered one thing when it's actually something else entirely. An example of this happened recently. There was a fish that was originally thought to be a juvenile of another species called Tiktaalik. Now, Tiktaalik uh, was one of the first fish to take the first steps onto land about 380 million years ago, so our ancient ancestors. But this particular fossil was put away and not looked at again for about 15 years. And then it was pulled out and it was discovered that it was 
a completely different species entirely, one which actually returned to the sea rather than making the transition to land. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah, well, so I mean, this is obviously not great when it comes to getting what fossils we have wrong, but it also means that there are so many new discoveries that are potentially stowed away. And so, Evram, fossils are preserved remains of any living thing. Surely we've only just scratched the surface here when it comes to what we're yet to find. Yeah, for sure. I mean, any once living organism that at some point existed on the planet could leave some sort of fossil. So, What about me? (laughs) You definitely could and potentially will. So it's not just animals that we're thinking about. We're talking about everything, plants, exoskeletons of like insects and microbes and things like this. And we're not even just finding fossils of bones, but things like skin fossils and and even organs that are fossilized. But it does sometimes take a very trained eye to see things like a liver in a rock, for example. Sometimes it just looks like, I I always think of it as spaghetti and meatballs, like it's just a jumbled (laughs) mess. Sure. And there's a really good case study for what we're still to find, and that's a particular region in Queensland here in Australia called the Dinosaur Trail. The Dinosaur Trail, I've heard of this. What can you tell us about the trail? Yeah, so the Dinosaur Trail is also sometimes called the Dinosaur Triangle because it links the towns of Hewenden, Richmond and Winton in Queensland. And in these towns and the surrounding areas are some of the world's best preserved dinosaur fossils. Some of them are hundreds of millions of years old. Today, the land is mostly sheep and cattle grazing country. But millions of years ago, in places like Winton, you would have seen a dinosaur full habitat made up of things like rivers, freshwater pools, swamps and coastal estuaries. The Dinosaur Trail has become quite a popular tourist spot over the years. You can drive between the towns doing a bunch of dinosaur-related activities, going to fossil museums, and even in Richmond, you can actually dig up fossils yourself. I mean, it it is a dream. And as I was talking about before with uh, David Elliott from Belmont, which is a town not too far from Winton, there have actually been multiple cases over the years where random people have discovered fossils in the area. And some of these have actually gone on to be part of paleontology research, which is pretty cool. All right, Evram, I'm just going to suggest that maybe for the next Cosmos Magazine excursion, we all go to the Dinosaur Trail. Absolutely. But question, why is the Dinosaur Trail such a dinosaur fossil hotspot? So the Dinosaur Trail in Queensland just happens to be one of these hotspots around the world, which has lots of dinosaur fossils, which are pretty well preserved. Making a fossil is actually really hard. You need a very certain set of circumstances and a very small fraction of things that used to live on Earth actually become fossils. Right. There are very few places around the world that have had the right conditions for this, but there are some really good examples. For example, northern China, the badlands of Montana in the US where you get a lot of Mm T-Rexes, parts of Mongolia, Patagonia in Argentina. All of these are areas where you have lots of fossils and they're particularly well-preserved. There are also some sort of new up-and-coming areas like in northern Africa, like in Egypt and Morocco and India as well. I mean, it's funny to think about certain areas being up-and-coming when it comes to fossils because they've (laughs) sort of just been sitting there for millions of years waiting for us to find them. But um, we're beginning to get a lot more paleontological research coming from these areas. So bringing it back to the dinosaur trail, what sort of dinosaur fossil discoveries have been made over the years? There's been a bunch, but um, earlier this year, they actually found the smallest sauropod in Australia. I heard about that. Yeah, sauropods are the long-necked ones. It was nicknamed Ollie, and it was the first juvenile sauropod found in the country. 
It was only a child when it died, but would have measured 11 meters in length and weighed about 4.2 tons, which is about as much as an adult elephant. Little giant, huge, baby, huge dinosaur. (laughs) Exactly. Little baby giant dinosaur. But just a year before Ollie was discovered, researchers declared they had found Australia's largest sauropod. And this was found about 400 kilometers south of where Ollie was discovered near the town of Winton. We've also discovered sauropod footprints still intact in the ground. Footprints in the ground preserved. How is this possible? I know it's wild to think that they're, you know, tens of millions of years old. But yeah, footprints and trackways can be preserved in the ground. And this is because if you imagine a sauropod or another dinosaur stepping into, say, mud, Mm -hmm. it will leave an impression at the time. And then sometimes some sediment will get into that mud, like sand or something else. When that becomes compressed, it becomes a rock and those footprints are left in time. Yeah, wow. So this discovery was made a few years ago. Paleontologists found the longest sequence of sauropod footprints, which could be followed continuously for over 40 meters. That's huge. Yeah, it was an amazing find. I mean, just trying to wrap your head around the fact that a footprint that's nearly 95 million years old can be preserved in rock and discovered in outback Australia. It's just, it's insane. So... Evram, essentially, we could find anything at this point when it comes to fossils. New fossils in places we didn't anticipate, like hopefully my backyard later when I start digging, new species. And I presume a lot of that is helped by the fact we have access to new technology or are utilising sort of existing technology in new ways to teach us more about fossils. What technology is helping us here? The use of technology in in fossil hunting and analysing fossil specimens is advancing quite rapidly. Things like MRIs are being used, even AI in some cases, but perhaps the most exciting area is with CT scanners and 3D printers. One example of this is some paleontologists at Flinders University in South Australia have been using micro CT scanners and 3D printers to reconstruct dinosaur fossils preserved in opal more than 100 million years ago. Oh, wow. This is wild because we often think about dinosaurs in sort of sandstone-like formations, but dinosaurs can actually be preserved in opal and other gemstones as well. That's crazy. Yeah, so they've actually used these micro CT scanners to look inside the opal to get a picture of what the fossil looks like and then print it in 3D. And this is one of the great things I think about using this tech. Because in some cases, it is less destructive towards the fossil than what we've done in the past. Handling the real thing can sometimes cause the fossil to break and be destroyed. So that's really interesting, Evram. But I do wonder if it takes away that kind of tangible, explorative element when it comes to fossils. I mean, sort of, again, channeling Dr. Alan Grant, Sam Neill, getting your hands dirty and sort of holding them and really dissecting it. Yeah, I mean, sure. It's really exciting to handle one of these things physically. And paleontologists will say, you know, the 3D prints and scans are really good, but they don't have quite the same level of detail. But it's also a good idea, I think, to not break and destroy what we find (laughs) or what we have stored away. Sure. Yeah. Also, CT scanning and 3D printing doesn't necessarily mean we'll stop digging or stop handling fossils in the same way we have been. For example, we could use scanners to scan the rock and then use those scans, as I said before, to inform us about how and where we're chipping away at the rock. It gives us a better idea of where the fossil is so we don't damage it. But there are other applications as well. You can use larger geophysics scanners, which might use sonar, and go to a place like Winton in the Dinosaur Triangle 
take the sonic scanner and look at the earth underneath to see what dinosaur fossils are there, where they are, and then where the best place is to dig. So we're still making big strides in discovering fossils and learning more about prehistoric animals. So don't think that we've learned all that there is to know about them. We've barely scratched the surface and really the next new discovery could be made by you or anyone. Evram Yazgin is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. You can read more of Evram's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. Also, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search The Science Briefing and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. Our executive producer is Carla Arnold. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time. Thank you.